If you would take your Bibles, turn to two places this morning, John chapter number 19 and Matthew chapter 27, John chapter 19, Matthew 27. As you're turning there, I wanted to show you this. One of our young parents here, one of the young men in our church here, was given a some wood and a hammer and nails and said, go have some fun and build something. And this young man chose to build a cross and a little sign on the top that says he died for us. And I thought, wow, that's really encouraging that uh, that's what some of our young people are thinking about. You know what, I think I'm going to put it right here. I just have a feeling that if I set it down there, I'll get right to the invitation time when the Holy Spirit's working and it'll fall and crash. And <laughs> the devil has a way of trying to distract us from what God's trying to do. John chapter number 19, this is our third message on our series entitled Significant Events Surrounding Calvary. In John chapter number 19, we read in verse 16, Then delivered he him, therefore, unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side and Jesus in the midst. If you would now turn to Matthew chapter number 27, and we see in Matthew's gospel that a little bit further explanation is given about these two men that are crucified, one on either side of the Lord Jesus there on Golgotha's hill, Golgotha and Calvary, being uh, one being a Greek word and the other being a Latin word for the same exact hill. In Matthew chapter 27, and in verse number 33, and when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. They that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, Save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said... I am the Son of God. Watch this in verse 44. It says, The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of three crosses 
many decisions. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the word of God and thank you for this wonderful gospel testimony of these three crosses on Golgotha's hill. Thank you for the singing this morning, all centered on the cross of Calvary. And I pray now that these few minutes that we have together in the preaching of the Word of God, I pray that our hearts and minds would be drawn to Calvary's hill. I pray that you'd help us to see what we need to see and prepare our hearts, God, to respond as we ought to respond. I pray, Father, that we would leave this place having seen Calvary's hill, experienced, God, the wonderful and awesome and yet terrible event there on Calvary's Hill with these three crosses. We pray for your help that the Holy Spirit would anoint with power, with grace, with wisdom. We pray, Father, for your presence in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Calvary's Hill. There were three crosses and many decisions. When I think about the subject of decision, sometimes my mind often says the cliche that we often quote, decisions, decisions, decisions. You know, folks, decisions are what make up our life. And every single one of us goes through places, interestingly enough, that are called crossroads. Crossroads in life. We come to those crossroads and We have decisions that we need to make. And the ultimate destination of our life is determined by all of those decisions combined. Sometimes it's not the major decisions that we make that affect our life in a major way, but rather it's all those little seemingly insignificant decisions that lead us and prepare us for the ultimate decision that we make when we get to the major crossroad in our life. You take a person that comes to a crossroad and he's got a choice. Do I go straight ahead? Do I turn right? Do I turn left? Or do I retreat? How? What determines the decision that a man takes in the course of his life? Does he just flip a coin? Does he spin a wheel in whichever direction the arrow points? That's the road that he takes. I dare say that... No one here today makes major decisions in their life based on happenstance. We do what we want to do. We do what we feel like doing. And that's why the decisions at the crossroads in life are really an outpouring, a manifestation of the desire that we have allowed to come into our heart. You come to that crossroad, you turn to the left and you look down that road and you see what's down that road. You look ahead and you see what's down that road. You look to the right and ultimately we choose the road that we think looks best to us or feels right to us. That's all determined by what we allow into our heart. As you think about these three crosses and there were three men hanging, one on each cross, Each one of these crosses, folks, represents a life. God doesn't give us the name of the men hanging on the cross on the right or on the cross of the left. We know the name of the man in the middle. His name was Jesus of Nazareth. And the accusation that was written, the King of the Jews, is not 
an accusation from my perspective. From my perspective, it's an actual fact. Jesus was and is the King of the Jews. I'm glad that I can say here this morning that some 33 years ago I made Him my King. And I'm glad that I have a good King who loves me and guides me. And yes, He tells me what to do, but He always tells me the right thing to do. It's wonderful to be able to bow my knees and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Many, perhaps even some of you here today, you couldn't say with all honesty that while Jesus is your Savior, He's not necessarily your King, your Master, and your Lord. He wants to be, and He certainly can be. But each one of these crosses, the the cross on the right and the cross on the left, represents a man. And that man represents a life. We're talking about family here. We're talking about a mama. We're talking about a father. We're talking about grandparents. We're talking about neighbors. We're talking about friends. These unnamed men still had very, very significant lives. And I guarantee you, each one of their lives had an impact on other people. Can I say to you here this morning, no matter how insignificant you think your life may be, no matter how much the devil tries to tell you that you're just nobody and nobody would miss you if you're gone, I've got news for you. There would be many people that would be heartbroken and hurt and devastated if you weren't here. No one has a life that has zero impact on other people. We have an impact on one another. I think about this life, and while each one of these lives were determined by decisions and crossroads and the pathways that they chose and the impact that they had on one another, I'm reminded of what Solomon said. He said it actually in two different places. One of them I'm providing for you in Proverbs 14 and verse number 12, where the Bible says, "...there is a way which seemeth right unto a man." but the end thereof are the ways of death. I don't think that either of these men expected to be hanging on a cross crucified next to the Son of God. I don't think that they ever imagined or dreamed that that would be the destiny of their life. But here we have it in history and in Scripture that these two men their lives ultimately ended up in a cross and in death. But I got news for you. Who here today, if the rapture doesn't take place, that our life also won't ultimately end in death? There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs. Solomon thought that that was so important that he wrote it twice within two chapters of the book of Proverbs. I'd say we need to pay some attention to what the wisest man that ever lived besides Jesus Christ, what he had to say. These thieves here, they are casting the same in Jesus' teeth. They're railing on Him. We'll say more about that here in a few minutes. But three crosses and many decisions. I want to focus your attention on the first decision here this morning. And that is decision number one. One of these men decided to be a thief. You say, well, how do you think that maybe he woke up one morning and said, 
You know, someone says, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> you used to be an astronaut, a doctor. I want to be an NBA player. I want to do this, and I want to be this. And I guarantee you that probably as a child, he didn't say when his grandparents said, Johnny, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I think I'll, I think I want to be a thief. And, and maybe then I'll, I'll steal a bunch of stuff and then I'll get caught and then they'll crucify me. I don't think he ever thought that through, do you? But somewhere in his life, he was faced with a decision on what to do. Men sin for various reasons. Men steal for various motivations. I think that it's a possibility that this particular man here, that perhaps he was one of these thieves that did it for the thrill, for the adrenaline rush. <laughs> Let's see how much that we can get from somebody else and not get caught. There are men that are like that. They find some kind of a power in getting something over on someone else and taking money out of their pocket and putting it in theirs. And by the way, there's all kinds of ways to steal. You don't have to break a window or pick a, a lock in order to take things. There's all kinds of ways to take and get gain dishonestly. I think about as a parent when we were raising our children. And, you know, I, I like, I, I think most people like to get something for free. Someone once said, if it's free, it's me. We all like to get something that unexpected, something that we didn't have to sweat and work for. Those are always kind of unexpected blessings, are they not? But to love that and to live for that and to work the system, I have seen even God's people figure out a way to work the system. Do you know when they're calling for a snowstorm in Statesville? You cannot go down to the local hardware store or to the local farm supply store. And if you go down there when they're calling for a snowstorm, you'll find a sign on the generators that says, no return. You know why that is, is because some people will go and they'll buy that generator until the threat or the snowstorm is over, and some of them will even use it and then box it back up and take it back, or maybe they just buy it and have it there in case and then they take it back. And then what happens is, You've got a shortage of people who actually need the generator. They don't have one to buy. I've known people that would take advantage of stores. You know, just because Walmart can be crooked in their policies, just because some store is trying to make money, just because a store is worth millions and millions of dollars, listen, if you steal a nickel from Walmart, and you steal a nickel from grandma, guess what? You still stole. Why is it that we think that for some reason God's okay with it if we steal from somebody and it doesn't put them in a bind because they've got plenty? Kind of the Robin Hood mentality. 
We kind of glamorize that. There's a lot of different pathways to become a thief, but ultimately this man, he made a decision. I envision in my mind that this man on this cross was one of these types that grew up in a life and in a home where basically there was no God, no real genuine love, no real care. Here's a man that learned how to live his life, kind of like Frank Sinatra. He did it his way. He did it his way. You know, a man can say, I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to live life on my terms, but eventually, every single time, life will eventually come crashing down on all of us. I think about decision number two, and that's the other thief on the other side of the Lord. And he too made a decision to become a thief. But as we've already said, there's different pathways to become a thief. One person, perhaps maybe, grows up without any godly influence in their life. The next person grows up with godly influence, grows up in a Bible-believing church, grows up with Christian parents and is taught and learned the truth from day one. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. There are people who grow up and are exposed to great light and to great truth. But because they really don't know any better, they think that they're almost victims because they don't get to enjoy all the things out there in the world. I mean, it's almost like the church and the preacher and the parents become the evil mean ones because they're saying no and that I can't do all of the things that everybody else is doing. And so when freedom, when a little bit of freedom or a little bit of being on your own without oversight, without anybody looking over your shoulder, it's like, well, you know what? I want to do this. I don't want to deprive myself of all of the wonderful things that the world has to offer. After all, all my friends are doing it. Here's a man here that he wasn't mean and evil and godless like the other thief. He just didn't really care. He didn't hate God. He wasn't an atheist. But he didn't love God either. One man steals for the adrenaline. The next man steals because maybe he's hungry. Maybe he has a necessity. Maybe maybe he started making all of these little decisions in life that made his life a wreck. And now he's got to try to do something to fix it. And the only way that he can see to fix it is to add sin upon sin. One man is the man that man almost almost as a child you ever you ever been around that 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 young man or that young lady that even at a young age you just go wow where are they headed i i i've known kids in my youth group junior high and younger that man no matter you preach to them and you love them and you just there's just a a, a meanness about them or an, a wickedness they just don't want anything to do and I've always wondered, what's going to happen with their life? I've seen three, four-year-old kids in a crib and, and kind of look at them in the crib and just kind of go, mm, I want to get used to those bars. You ever, you ever seen kids like that? It's just like, you just know that person, if something 
if God doesn't intervene, they're going to end up in prison. I know a few of those that that's how it panned out. And then you got others that you just look at them and you think, man, what a, that, that person's either going to, they've got so much potential. They may be a preacher or a missionary. They don't, they don't deny God. They don't reject God, but they don't love Him either. They have a different crossroad in their life, but listen, brothers and sisters, they end up on the same place. There's many, many paths to destruction. The devil doesn't care which path you choose as long as you don't choose the pathway that leads you to Jesus Christ. That's all he cares about. This man had godly influence. Maybe something hurt him. Maybe he was in church or Sunday school and maybe he went through a church split or maybe he did something and got in trouble for it and instead of his parents saying, look, Johnny, wait a minute, the other guy was Johnny, right? Jimmy, look, Jimmy, you did it. Doesn't matter how they dealt with you. Maybe they were too stern. Maybe the punishment was too harsh. But you did it. You need to man up and take responsibility for your actions. But instead, this man's parents did what almost every parent does today. They made him a victim. And so they coddled him. And even though he had committed the sin or the crime, the bad person, the evil one, the the villain in the plot was the person in authority, the police officer, the teacher, the parent, or whoever else, the preacher. That's the person that really is the villain of the plot. Listen, I see that and it sickens me. I see it so often. In fact, whenever I see it, I'll say a prayer and I'll say, God, thank you. I didn't always appreciate the tough love that my parents gave me, but whenever I see all of the victimhood and the manipulation that's going on in homes today, I just look to heaven and I say, God, thank you for my mom and dad. I mean, I remember, I remember the first time that I, <laughs> that I did something and I got in trouble and I got home and I told my mom my story, the way that I had made it up in my mind. And I thought, Oh, she's going to be mad at that teacher for the way that teacher did me. And you know what my mom did? Said, come on, we're going down to the school. Me and you, we're going to talk to the teacher. Uh, 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 <laughs> Fixed it. The truth shall make you free. (laughs) I was free from being a victim. (laughs) I was free from having parents that down deep I thought I can manipulate them. (laughs) It is a liberating thing. (laughs) I thank God for that. This man was probably like many, many men growing up in churches today. He never wanted to become a criminal. But he didn't really want God as a real factor in his life either. And so when he came to the crossroads of the decisions of life, he almost invariably took the wrong path. And here he is. Decision number three. Wow. I like decision number three. Decision number three was Jesus 
dying on the cross of Calvary. You say, wait a minute. Was that a decision? Oh, brother and sister, absolutely. It was a decision made by the Lord. In Matthew 26, verse number 53, the Lord Jesus said, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and He shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? It was a decision. He didn't have to. He wasn't a robot. He did it, and He did it. It was His decision to die on the cross, and His decision was based on love, and His decision was based on submission. In Luke twenty-two forty-two, it says, Father, if Thou be willing, remove this cup from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Thine be done. The decision that Jesus Christ made on the cross of Calvary. Jesus had said previously in John 12, verse number 27, He said, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. It was a decision and a commitment that the Lord Jesus Christ made. Once I wandered in sin's black night, there was no way to make my wrongs right. When the old accuser to the Lord did cry, He is a sinner, now he must die. Then I heard a voice saying, Father, I'll go. And I'll pay his sin debt in Calvary's flow. I'll bear in my body the marks of the cross to save this child who is sin sick and lost. Thank God Jesus made that decision to die on the cross for our sins. Decision number four we see that both thieves are railing upon him. Here they are in the same, the same situation. Now, I don't know exactly. I'm sure that, that they put two thieves next to the Lord, not just out of convenience. It wasn't one of those things that, you know what, we might as well just kill a couple more while we're at it. I believe that they put Jesus next to these thieves in his death in order to shame the Lord. I don't know, I'm, evidently, I don't know what they, what they said stolen, what their thievery was, but obviously in their culture, it was worthy of dead, death. I would have to say that probably they must have done something to try to steal from the Romans. Because here they are on the cross, and as they're hanging on the cross, and they're looking at one another, and they're looking at the man in the middle, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Scripture, as we've already read, says they're both casting the same in His teeth. The same as what? The same as the elders, the same as the scribes, the ones that are down there on the ground looking up and saying, if you're the Son of God, save yourself. Ho, 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 big man. Been telling everybody that you can destroy the temple and in three days raise it up. Well, you can handle that. How about this? I mean, they are mocking Him with venom and just reviling Him. And according to the Scriptures, it says that the thieves, plural, they're doing the same thing. 
I think it's possible. It is possible that perhaps maybe one of the thieves was the spokesman. And he's the one that's agreeing and reiterating and saying all of those railing remarks. It could be that the thief on the other side, maybe he was lumped in with the other because he's just being quiet. And at that point, maybe he's joining in, maybe he's not. I don't know the, I don't know all of the facts behind it, but sometimes when you're in a crowd and somebody's doing something, you have a choice. You're either going to be lumped in with them because you won't stand up against them. Now there's a lesson for life right there. Seems like God's people today have a tendency to get backed in a corner and be moral cowards. I tell you what, brothers and sisters, we need to stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. These young people and these teenagers need to see that, hey, I go to a church where the men are not afraid to stand up for Jesus Christ and stand up and speak out against sin and wickedness. But one thing we do know is that there was a decision and the Bible says that both of these thieves were railing upon Him. You know what they're doing? They're playing the blame game. They're making excuses. They're making demands. They have their rights. Listen, if you're who you say you are, then why don't you get us off of this? You know what their problem was? Their problem was is they only cared about the mess that they were in. And at that particular point in time, they weren't considering what was really going on on that middle cross. They were doing what perhaps maybe you're doing here today. You're just thinking about yourself. That's all you really care about. Do whatever you want to do. As long as you don't have to suffer too many consequences, you just kind of will maneuver through life and figure, hey, I can, I can fix this. I can, I can take care of this. Decision number five, I'd like to draw your attention to Luke chapter number 23. Luke chapter number 23, we see that one of the thieves, I don't know which one it was, the one on the right or the one on the left, I, I really don't know, but one of them, one of them repents. What does it mean to repent? It means that there was a change that took place. A change of heart, a change of mind. And I don't know exactly what got a hold of this man's heart, because I know that for each of us, the same thing that got a hold of my heart likely won't get a hold of your heart. But God's got something, if you'll listen to Him, that will get a hold of your heart. You know, the book of Jude talks about some saved by fear, pulling them out of the fire. Others with compassion. You know, God knows your heart and He knows how to approach you to try to get you to repent, to turn away from your wickedness and to turn toward Him. But this one thief here, according to Luke chapter 23, read, let's uh, read it with me here, verse number 39, and one of the malefactors, that's the, the criminals, the thieves, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, 
Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. What an amazing thing that's taking place here on the cross. You know, this man that repents, I guarantee you he wishes that he would have come to himself a long time ago. While something wonderful is going on in his heart, I mean, it's as if the Holy Spirit has just taken and is stirring in some sugar into the bitterness of his life. Something wonderful and spiritual is taking place in his heart. Outwardly, he's still suffering and hanging on a cross. He's not going to be relieved from the consequences of his past. But he is getting ready to get relieved of the consequences in his future. What an amazing transformation that took place in his heart. Listen, for a person to get saved, it only takes this much time. I mean, you can turn to Jesus Christ. You can, if you will just come to yourself, to come to your senses. Like the, the, the young man in Luke chapter 16, the prodigal son, the Bible says he came to himself. You don't have to spend years in the far country. You don't have to be in the hog pen. You just have to come to the realization, wow, have I been a fool. I've been thinking that the world, that that I love the world and the pleasures of sin, and I realize now that the world doesn't love me back, but Jesus loves me. I realize that He's not trying to ruin my life. He's trying to rescue my life. I guarantee you, this man wishes he would have done it a lot sooner. I guarantee you, if he had family, a wife and children that are there at the foot of the cross, and they're weeping over daddy, weeping over their husband, they're wishing that he would have gotten right earlier. But I tell you what, you can fault him for when he did it, but you cannot fault him for how he did it. You talk about a textbook repentance. It's got everything in it. He said, listen, don't, don't be railing on him. We, we got, he's admitting that he's a sinner and that he's deserving what he's get, got's coming to him. That's the first step to repentance. I see here in this statement, Obviously, he believes in the resurrection because he says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. I mean, he's got humility. He's got repentance. He's got faith. He's got confession. At this point, he doesn't care what the other thief has to say. He doesn't care what the scribes and elders have to say. He realizes, I'm in a desperate situation. I've been wrong. He's right. He repents and believes. And what a miracle, what a wonderful thing that took place. That decision there on Calvary's cross. You know what happened? He quit following the crowd. He quit looking at himself. And he got his eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. You talk about a miracle that will happen in your life if you'll do the same thing. Get your eyes off of you. And get your eyes on Jesus Christ you'll find a miracle that you never ever thought could happen. Decision number six. Decision number six is that Christ forgives. 
we read it in verse 43. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. What an amazing thing that Jesus could be suffering, being tortured. I mean, he's weary. And here's a man who had just been minutes before been adding insult to his injury, piling on, if you will. And he changes his mind. You know, the Lord doesn't, the Lord doesn't say, oh, you know, you, are you for real? The Lord doesn't say, yeah, you're probably just trying to get out of your, the mess that you're in. No, the Lord said, I'll accept that. Not the best time, but as long as you're breathing, it's never too late. Never too late. Luke twenty three thirty four. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If I could throw this in for free, I guarantee in a crowd this size, there is somebody that you are struggling with forgiveness. Somebody that has hurt you or wronged you and you're just having a hard time finding it in yourself to have forgiveness in your heart. You know what? The Bible says that we should forgive for Christ's sake. As God has forgiven us for Christ's sake, Jesus looked at those that had hurt Him unjustly and He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're... They, they're just acting like sinners. Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. We, need, we can have that same forgiveness in our heart if we'll just ask the Lord to help us. When I think about Christ forgiving the, the, the thief, forgiving us, I'm reminded about two men in the Bible, both Moses and Paul. Do you know that both of those men said to God that they would die for their people? Remember when the children of Israel had sinned against God? made a golden calf. They wanted that calf because they wanted a God that didn't make any demands upon them. They wanted a God that didn't have any commandments. They wanted a God that they could dance around and have all of that music and that feeling, but no expectation. Sounds like the contemporary crowd today. God says, Moses, let me alone and I'll kill him. You know what Moses said? God, just blot me out. Just blot me out. God didn't, God didn't, Moses was willing to die for his people. The apostle Paul in Romans chapter number nine, he said, I could wish myself accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen after the flesh. Paul said, look, if you'll save my people, if you'll save Israel, Paul said, put me in hell, but save them. Now that's a pretty, that's a pretty compassionate plea. But God didn't kill Moses and God didn't put Paul in hell. Why? Because Moses' life and Paul's life were not, they didn't meet the necessary requirements to satisfy a holy God. Listen, no one, no one can take care of your sin problem than the Lord Jesus Christ. His death was the only death, the only sacrifice for sins that could ever satisfy a holy God. 
They didn't have what God required, but Jesus did. And I'd like to conclude with this thought here this evening, this morning. And I want to talk to you about number seven, the decisions made today. The decisions based upon these three crosses. I believe that God gives us preaching. He gives us church. He gives us the Word of God so that we too can respond. Perhaps you're in a crossroad in your life. Perhaps maybe you're going to be at a crossroad in your life. Do you know that maybe how you, the decisions that you make this morning could determine the decisions that you make tomorrow? It's never too late. You've never sinned too much. In John 6, verse 37, Jesus said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So I ask you this question this morning. All these decisions that were made, the question that matters for this hour, which thief are you? Which one are you? Are you the one that's just going to continue down your road? Say, well... I'm not going to change. Or are you the one that is willing to come to yourself and say, Lord, remember me. I've been on the wrong path. I've been doing some wrong things. I'm not saved. I need to be saved. These two men ultimately died there on Calvary's Hill, same place, same day that the Lord Jesus Christ died. One of them went to paradise. The other one, no doubt, went to a devil's hell. Which one are you? Only you can answer that question. Only you and God can determine that destiny. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for the cross of Calvary. We thank you for the precious blood that you shed upon it for our sins. We thank you for the opportunity that you have given us this morning to make a decision of which thief that will represent our life. It doesn't have to be a deathbed profession. It has to do with repentance. It has to do with faith. It has to do with trust. I pray, Father, that there would be decisions made today. Decisions to honor and glorify You. I pray that the Holy Spirit would work in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Take a hymnal. Hymn number 10. Hymn number 10, as we sing, the altar's open. You come if God spoke to your heart.